Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What better way to dish out fantasy football advice than with a roast? What? All right, sure, why not? I mean, my updated best ball rankings are out with 250 players. And to celebrate, we will run through the good, the bad, and the even worse of it all, all right here on the Breakout Football Podcast on the Believe Network, sponsored by Link Me. I'm Zach Cohen of the Draft Network with the Urbane Cole Topham of Chargers Wire. We're also joined by a very special guest who will help break down my best ball rankings. But before we bring him on, Cole, man, what's going on? How you doing? Dude, I'm Grant. You said, come roast my rankings. And I was like, say less. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, I figured that would that would, that would trigger something in you. Uh, but to help you roast my rankings, please welcome the COO of the Draft Network and the co-host of the TDN Fantasy Podcast, also here on the Believe Network, Jamie Eisner. Now, Jamie, you were our second ever guest back in September. So it is great to have you back. I'm glad to be back, and uh, I get to roast all of your fantasy stuff internally when I read it and put it up on the website. So now it's nice to kind of share those opinions out with the outside world. Yeah, some constructive criticism, some just straight up criticism. I'm here for all of it. I've got rebuttals. We've got prompts, tons of best ball analysis to get to. Based on my updated rankings, I dished out a set back in February. Now they're updated. They will be live at the draftnetwork.com only. So we will have thoughts and everything from the biggest head scratchers to the biggest sleepers to trends and more. But we'll start with the first thought you had from the top 12. I'm, I don't want to say the whole rankings because I think people should go to TDN and read it, but I will give the top 12. We have Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Cooper Cup, Dalvin Cook. Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, and rounding it out, DeAndre Swift at 12. Most best ball leagues use half PPR scoring, so that's what I use to make the rankings. But Jamie, when you looked at my rankings, what was the first thing that stood out from those initial 12 players? The first thing that stood out for me was actually something that stood out when I was doing my own rankings and projections, which are also available at the draftnetwork.com, we'll get all these cheap plugs in, but is it's a new wide receiver names in round one. And it's we, for so long, we got used to talking about Devonte Adams and Tyree kill as like the top guys there last year, there were the AJ Browns, the Calvin Ridley's of the world, the Deandre Hopkins, like that's been what we have seen really Adams Hill and Hopkins in general for several years now. You didn't mention any of those names and two young guys come in there two LSU Tigers and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And I agree with you actually on this one, this will not be a roast, but it's something that stood out to me because we've always known the quote unquote potential round one wide receivers every year. It's the same names over and over again. And there's some new names there and that includes Cooper cup as well. Who's not quite a, a young gun, but all of these names are new compared to years past. And that really stood out to me. 
just the changing of the guard amongst the receiver positions. I mean, I think Chase and Jefferson seem fairly cemented. Uh, my early rankings had them both in round one. Nothing really changed. We will talk a little bit more about Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill later, but they were in the top 12, and then they were bumped down for, again, reasons that we'll talk about soon. Uh, but Chase and Jefferson seem pretty fair to me. I don't really get how they could fall off this massive cliff like we don't really see wide receivers come in blow everyone out of the water in year one and then fall off so I'm glad we're in agreement on that I know some people might think that Justin Jefferson should be over Jamar Chase sure I can make that case uh but for now Chase Jefferson and Cooper Cup the only three three wide receivers I have in the top 12. Cole what caught your eye with the round one rankings that I got so far what I put down here was just how premium the workhouse workhorse back is, right? I mean, you have your heavy hitters at the beginning, right? Taylor, Henry, Eckler, um, you know, Christian McCaffrey, when he's on the field, is obviously in his own tier. And then Najee Harris kind of rounds out the backs in, you know, good offenses with good opportunity. You maybe throw Joe Mixon in there if, you know, you've looked past all of his past history and you actually, you know, believe in, in the in the Bengals as a productive offense, right? And then Kamara and Swift, they kind of represent that drop off of elite tier that we haven't really seen in, in fantasy backs in recent years. It, like after them, you're, you're kind of dealing with, you know, hot and cold with uh, Nick Chubb and, you know, David Montgomery, Javante Williams is the new card into the fold. There's not really like an option that you really feel solid about hedging your running back one um, elite tier uh, fantasy RB1 card on. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously very productive backs and given a good week, they can explode, but they, they don't really have the same security as those in the elite tier. And I feel like we just haven't seen that with every running back having soft hands these days. That tier just, you kind of want to, it makes you want to draft a running back very early before you target any of these, any of these pass catchers and make sure you get at least one of those on your lineup especially in half PPR formats, like most best ball leagues are. That, that's something I definitely considered. Um, it might have something to do with, you know, I, I really, it's tough when you make rankings. I really don't like making rankings, but I was so curious to see how the, how each player fold into tiers. So I kind of started off with, tiers and like all right these players are group of these players and that tier is better than this tier and then after that like you can like I have Mixon ahead of Camara you can make a case for Camara over Mixon it's really not that deep when it comes to one two or even three spots off but I think we can all agree how important workhorses are of course what constitutes a workhorse is subjective o only one running back saw more than 80 percent of his team snaps and that was Najee Harris and he finishes the RB3 overall what's interesting to me is that among those running backs, the running back who saw the second most snaps last season isn't even in my top 12. He's down at 19 in David Montgomery. He saw 76% of the Bears snaps, which I think alone makes him a low end. He could be a low end RB1. Heck, he could be a high end RB2, something around there. So eyeing those workhorses is so huge for best ball. But I think based on, and I've been saying what I'm about to say for a while now, based on all the moves we've seen this offseason and the progression of the, the most successful teams in recent years and how they utilize the running backs in their backfield, this is going to be the year when people really notice 
how much more the NFL is trending towards committee approaches rather than workhorse backs. Gone are the days of like seven to 10 running backs across the league taking 80% plus of their team snaps. Like we just had one running back do that last year. I think this is the year where those workhorses are going to be so valuable because they're going to be more rare than ever. So that's why I try to put a lot of more premium on the workhorses. I'm glad you pointed that out so far, some positivity, some nice things said. I appreciate that. But the big draw of this episode was roast me, roast the rankings. That's exactly what we're about to do. The biggest head scratcher. I'm sure you had a few of them, maybe more than a few of them, I'll be honest. But what was the thing that stood out to you the most that really got your your gears grinding, Jamie? Well, and look, and you're not alone on this, so I'm hoping you can provide me clarity. I'm hoping you can shine your light upon and just drop this knowledge from me. Mine was you have Sky Moore, the rookie, ranked as a top 36 wide receiver and a top 90 overall player. My question to you is where and how often is he going to play? Right now, if I look at I look at this Kansas City roster, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to start in the slot. You're going to have Nicole Hardman um, and, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling in different spots on this offense. I don't see an immediate path for Sky Moore to get targets. At best, if you include the, the combination of Rojo and Edwards Hilaire and Travis Kelsey, he's probably sixth up for targets. To me, I think this is a this is a representative of a gross underestimation of what Miko Hardman is going to have in the role he's going to have in this offense, the role Marquez Valdez Scantling is going to have in this offense as well. To me, I look at Sky Moore, somebody I like a little bit more longer term. If you were in a dynasty league and whatnot, but to me, I think he is a a fairly low upside option among these rookie wide receivers because I don't think he's going to see a clear path to playing time at the beginning of the season. And even depending on who got who gets hurt, he might not have a clear path, even if one of Michael Harmon or Marquez Valdez Scantling go down. And MBS does have a, an injury history, as does Juju. To me, he's more of a guy that's going to make a year two or year three impact. I cannot draft him among my top 40 wide receivers. For me, I'm just going to tell you where I have him on my rankings, which haven't come out. He's down at wide receiver 91 for me. So you and I have uh, a significant difference in where we view Sky more this year. Well, I am curious now, too, where you have Traylon Burks and Drake London, because those are the two rookies I had. Well, I have Christian Watson one spot ahead of Sky Moore. Uh, I have Burks at 60 and London at 61. I'm, I'm curious where you have those two guys so, before. I, I need on. to see where you have among receivers because I haven't done my top overall players yet. So that means you have more part. Christian Watson, what, wide receiver 35? I don't know if you want to do the quick math if you have to pull up, because I have not done my full, like, Okay. One to 200. I, I have all my positional rankings yet. Mm. Um, so while you look that up among wide receivers, uh, I have Burks at wide receiver 29 and I have Drake London at wide receiver 45. Let's see. Yeah, this is got that's a lot of math. I've Watson yeah. one literally, literally so, one spot ahead so of So Watson Moore. would be wide receiver 35 then because I yes. did the math for you on Sky Moore to, to, oh, to question that one. So he was 36 among your wide receivers. If mm-hmm. you want to work backwards and see, I think we're a little bit closer on the other rookies. Mm-hmm. To me, it just seems like, and Watson for me comes in. I mean, you're a little bit higher on Watson than I am. I have him closer. I have him kind of grouped up around that wide receiver 50 mark uh, that you have him all the way up in the 35, but it, or, excuse me, I have him by 57, but you have him at 35. So I guess in general, you're a little bit higher on some of these rookie wide receivers, mm-hmm. but I don't really have an issue with the Watsons or obviously Burke and London. I think we're both going to be in, in a pretty reasonable area on, uh, but Sky Moore, I just don't think he's in that class in terms of what he can bring to the table in year one. I just don't, I don't see that role for him right away in Kansas city. 
I love Sky Moore. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Could that have impacted some of this? Definitely. I think all rankings have a little bit of bias towards certain players. You look at a player, you say, you know, I think he's more talented than given credit for, or the vice versa is true. And that's 100% reflected in some of the rankings. Uh, doing my Dynasty Fit series for TDN, I said, whoever goes to KC is probably going to be my wide receiver one. Like that, that's plain and simple. What I think more lacks, what I think the cons of it is what you really touched on is what will his role be? Juju's going to occupy the slot. That's probably why they got him. Travis Kelsey really is the main receiver there. He is essentially a bigger slot receiver in most instances. So you are right in that. Moore can play outside. And where I really think that Moore's value lies based on his floor because again like you said and I just said too we don't know exactly where what he's going to be Kansas City more so than other teams doesn't really pigeonhole their players into one particular slot you can say Juju's a slot receiver you can say Sky Moore is the slot Nicole's the X but they move them around so much to where it's like all right like you could be the quote slot receiver quote but like you just played out in the perimeter you just made a jet sweep there's all these different variables so I don't know necessarily that saying Juju is the main slot guy doesn't mean Sky Moore isn't going to see the field. There's also this sentence I'm willing to bet on. I said last week with Josh Larkey when we had him on the show. I just think Sky Moore is the most talented true wide receiver on the Chiefs. I'm not ready to bank on MVS. We haven't really seen him do enough to make me think he can be a true wide receiver one. Same with Nicole Hardman. Juju hope if he can stay healthy which is a big if there is a possibility he can be a solid option for Mahomes keep more off the field I like that a lot but based on the upside that Moore has if we knew coming into today that Moore was going to see say eight targets a game because last year Tyreek Hill saw 9.4 and in no way am I insinuating as anyone should that Moore is going to come in immediately be Tyreek Hill 2.0 or even see that type of workload it's just not going to happen but the Chiefs have nearly 18 targets per game up for grabs after losing Hill, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle. Sure, they bring in MVS, they bring in Juju, they bring in Sky Moore. I'm willing to bet on Moore's talent. And if Moore does see, let's say, even five to six targets a game, that could make him the number one true wide receiver option because this is an interesting offense. We haven't really seen the Chiefs operate without Tyreek without a true wide receiver one at a consistent level. Travis Kelsey will always be Mahomes' favorite option. I think the upside that Moore has, if you told me Moore was going to be the number one option, I would have him much higher because there will be rookie receivers who outperform their stock. Maybe that's a Danny Gray. Maybe that's a Jalen Tolbert. Who knows? But I'm willing to bet on the variability of the rookie class. And my guy looking at the potential upside will be Sky Morse. So that's why I like him a lot. Um, again, I, I do think Christian Watson's a safer play at that pick just based on that receiver room and his potential role. Uh, but I love Sky Moore. I love the potential fit there. So that, that's my thought process. Did I clear anything up for you? A, a little. I just think you're asking a lot. I mean, we're talk talking about, I mean, look, eight targets a game is 136 target season. Um, I just one. I know you weren't predicting eight targets a game, but I'm saying like even that's not even in the, the reasonable realm of possibility. Uh, in my mind, I think he's going to be a, a three-ish target a game guy right now. And then maybe if there's injuries, he can be a little bit more. Uh, I'm willing to make a friendly, uh, I don't know if you have a, a sponsor that we can wager on this, but I'd like to make a friendly lunch bet or a friendly energy drink bet or something on that's on a points per game basis. 
So half PPR points per game basis. We could set the minimum. What do you want to set? Like 12 games played, whatever it was. So it's okay. that he, that he will finish. He will not be the chiefs. Number one wide receiver. I'm going to take Kelsey out. I'm just going among the chiefs wide receiver core on a per game basis. Will you take sky Moore or the field? Cause I'll take the field. Ooh. That is and again, tough. not counting Kelsey, not counting running backs. Like I, I obviously Kelsey's going to mm-hmm. put up stupid numbers, but would you be willing to bet up Sky Moore versus, um, you know, I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll do this. I'll do Sky Moore versus MVS. Let's just do a one v one for points per game, minimum twelve games played. I will take MVS. I'll take more because okay. I, Juju gave me a little pause because you know with best ball, right? As you know, everyone knows. Yep. Hopefully, everyone knows at this point. If you're listening, it's a best ball show today. The upside is key. You don't get penalized for starting a player who has a low floor because you have other guys who immediately get slotted into that lineup. So that's what I was thinking with Juju. Like Juju's ceiling is not as high as a player like Moore, but his floor is can be pretty solid. And again, if he's yeah. healthy, because he he could be this main slot receiver. So I I will yeah I will definitely take a lunch bet on that. Our sponsor Link Me. It's it's a social media network. Uh, great phenomenal like link sharing content you got all your content in one page share it out super easily with everyone not really much to bet on there but i'll yeah, take a lunch say, bet with you yeah i didn't know if you had an edible sponsor um <laughs> at all for for any of these but yeah let's do let's do a lunch bet and we'll come back on the show at the end of the year and discuss how we did mm, works with That's me how confident I'll, i feel all right i'll take sky more over mvs any day all right, so now that we got that roast out of the way, woof, I'm already I'm already feeling the heat. Uh, Cole, you, you've been sitting pretty. You've, you've been waiting to pounce on your biggest head scratcher for my rankings. Time to unleash the fury on me, man. What you got? Yeah, I mean, hopefully my hate won't be as high on the Scoville level as, a, as Jamie's, but I saw that you had Elijah Mitchell over Cam Akers, and obviously these are uh, two... Two offenses that feature their running backs pretty heavily, right? They don't shy away from running the ball. But we had Luke Sawhook on, um, I forget which episode it was. It seems like a while now, but he yeah. said oh, that yeah. he wasn't touching Elijah Mitchell. And we seemed to agree with him at the time, too. We were like, hey, you know, Luke, smart young kid, kind of knows what he's talking about. Um, we should shy away from Elijah Mitchell because we don't know what Shanahan's going to do with his running backs. He, you even drafted another one um, a few weeks ago, and you had Elijah Mitchell at pick 53 and Cam Akers, who coming off a strong postseason, miraculous Achilles tear recovery at 81 in a much better offense when and we know he's going to get workload. I was just kind of wondering what the thought process there, especially since we have discussed, you know, the pitfalls of drafting Elijah Mitchell and if he is going to be Shanahan's main guy in 2022. Mm-hmm. You are right in that Luke Sawhook did come on, and he, he was pretty convincing in it, too, and he, well, nothing he said was wrong, essentially saying that the Niners, kind of Shanahan, can we trust them with their running backs? They, they, they really tend to rotate through their guys and ride the hot hands. That sounds like Sean McVay to me, too, and it really came down to the simple fact that Mitchell has a much better chance at essentially being the 49ers offense than Cam Aker does at being the Rams offense. Of course, Debo Samuel might throw a wrench into that, although it it does look like he's staying for the Niners. I did make my rankings based on today's status. I'm not going to predict whether Deshaun Watson will be suspended or not, or Debo Samuel will be a 49er or not. 
But at the end of the day, the Niners actually run more than the Rams. And I do think there is a misconception that the Rams are a pass first, pass heavy team. And while they did have the 23rd highest rush rate that Los Angeles did, they do incorporate the running backs a lot more than people give them credit for. But the Niners are the fourth highest rush rate last year. We know Shanahan needs this run game to not just make the offense work, but to be a centerpiece of this offense. Now, San Francisco, L.A., they both seem to be pretty non-committal to one main running back. These are teams that can easily cast aside one in favor for the other because that's what they've been doing. That's what they've been doing. My thing, again, going back to Cam Akers, is let's say he does have a huge day. The chances that he was the big reason the Rams played well, the reason that he was producing points or that the Rams were producing points because of Akers are much slimmer than whether Mitchell was doing that for San Fran. I know they just drafted Tyrion Davis Price. They still have Trey Sermon, maybe. And again, they could easily give the ball to one of them. They get hot. They get the nod. That's how it works. But McVay can do the same thing with Daryl Henderson. Maybe even Kyron Williams will probably be more of a pass-catching role, which, if anything, could also hurt Akers' value. Neither of them are really too involved in the passing game. Elijah Mitchell did have 20 targets last season in 11 games. Akers had 11 targets in just four games. Back in 2020, postseason wasn't too involved. You did say he had a strong postseason. I don't know if strong was the right word to use, uh, but then again, he was coming off an injury. It's just to me, I think Mitchell has more has a better chance at having consistent hitting his consistent ceiling rather than acres i although still probably wouldn't draft mitchell nor acres at their current value i would just prefer mitchell to acres based on the offenses that they're in i thought it was just interesting because i there's 28 picks separating these players and that's what two two rounds four picks uh, between the players. And I just thought that gap is just so significant uh, just for the sake of, you know, maybe a little bit more of a, of a safer offense in terms of carries, you know, you mentioned like the Rams, they're seen as this pass happy offense, but they lean towards the run. Obviously I think just Darrell Henderson is better competition for uh, Cam Akers than Elijah Mitchell is to the rest of the 49ers backfield. Uh, I don't know what Trey Sermon's going to do in, in year two, um, or if he's even going to be featured at all. I just feel like Shanahan is a little bit more unpredictable in the, in the way he hands out his carries. And that, I guess that's why I like Akers more. Uh, I just feel like he's, he gets a designated amount of workload every single week and with the potential to, if he does have the hot, have the hot hand to, you know, run the offense. And I think it was pretty clear by the way Sean McVay was talking about Cam Akers um, towards the end of the season and checking in on his availability that he was excited to have, you know, a spark back to the offense when, you know, Sony Michelle was coming in, not really doing much operating in a, in a pass blocking role at the end of the year. And, you know, Darrell Henderson kind of losing some steam. I feel like at acres is the one back that, you know, can actually match the energy of, of McVay's offense that he requires. I will say this based on both of your answers for everything. I didn't want to, I, I kind of finalized these rankings like a Tuesday morning. And then you guys put in your things and I had to come up with my rebuttals. I didn't want to change anything. I didn't want to change any of my rankings. But when I went back to think more about Cam Akers, I did end up boosting him and Brees Hall. I think like 
10 more spots each ahead of Clyde Edwards Alaire and ahead of Miles Sanders. That was the, the only change I made based on all of this. So uh, congrats to oh, you. Oh, wow. The only change. <laughs> only the only change. I didn't want to make a change. I didn't want to make any amends, but I going back to think, I was like, hey, you know what? They do have a little more potential to have uh, some more explosiveness. So mm-hmm. those were our first two things that we talked about based on my rankings as we continue on here on the Breakout Football Podcast on the Believe Network, sponsored by Link Me. Kind of just talked about it. You can't eat anything uh, unless you eat some hoodies or something from Link Me. Uh, but Link Me, L I N K M E, is one of the fastest growing social media apps on the planet. Not only is it a great way to connect with everyone from around the world, but it is an insanely cool link sharing platform for people like me, like Jamie, like Cole, who have all this types of content in different places. It's so easy to have it all accessible on one page, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, your your PlayStation codes, your Xbox handle, everything from your Venmo to your PayPal, literally at the scan of your QR code, you give it to someone, they scan it, boom, they have access to all of your content. It is phenomenal. Highly recommended. And not just because they pay us link me L I N K M E. And if you do love everything that we've talked about so far, feel free to let us know on all social media, I am at Zach Cohen FB. Cole is at Ham Analysis, and Jamie is at Jamie Eisner. J A I M E E I S N E R. Had to clarify. Big, big proponents of spelling out the handles here, Jamie. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so we continue on on BFP with the next uh, question, questionnaire, whatever you want to call it. That had y'all fill out the trend that stood out the most. It can be from anything about any point from types of players to positions to whatever so Jamie when you looked at my rankings in full what was the trend that stood out the most to you and and we alluded to this a little bit earlier when we talked about the top wide receivers and this stood out to me when I was doing my rankings as well is that pretty much every blockbuster wide receiver trade had a negative fantasy impact for that player Uh, you know you look at Tyreek Hill and going from Patrick Mahomes in that offense to going to Miami and to a tug of Aloha you look at Devontae Adams going from Aaron Rodgers, who in this case is more just force fed him a ton of targets. I don't think he's going to see the same sort of target share in Las Vegas with guys like Renfro and Waller and others that are there. Uh, you, you know, you look at guys like AJ Brown and I'm actually probably one of the lowest in the industry on AJ Brown. I don't like the, fi- I, I like the move from a football standpoint. I don't like the move from a fantasy football standpoint in terms of what it means for his value and his percentage of targets that he's going to get there. And same thing with Devontae Parker uh, going from Miami, uh, you know, in, in now again, Devontae Parker, if he wasn't traded with Tyreek Hill coming in is a different story, but Devontae Parker from what he was looking at last year to going to new England. I feel like all four of those guys lost value. I look at a guy like Amari Cooper and I think it's probably even when Deshaun Watson, whenever he plays uh, from what he was in Dallas, I think is a high end wide receiver too. Mm-hmm. Robert Woods, probably about even Brian Edwards, probably about even, but for the most part, these big name wide receivers, uh, you know, have lost value for me where, you know, Hill and Adams to me are low end wide receiver ones versus high end wide receiver ones that they used to be. AJ Brown for me is a wide receiver too. Devontae Parker is barely draftable if at all uh, in my rankings. And I think that's kind of stood out to me, particularly at the very top that, these trades didn't really do a lot for fantasy managers. Like they're, they were splashy. They were interesting, but I don't think either one of these, particularly if we don't want to talk about the top guys, Tyree Hill, Devontae Adams and AJ Brown, 
I don't think any of those guys are in a better situation to produce fantasy now than they were when the season ended. So while those trades are fun and exciting and they're good for the teams and there's NFL reasons why they happen and financial reasons why they happen. I think fantasy wise, people are going to have to adjust. And if you're drafting them the same spot around the same spot, you've been drafting them. I think it's a mistake. You totally hit it on the head. Like I had all my notes on like Devonte Adams, Tyree Kill, AJ Brown, and you basically just read my whole script for me. Uh, the AJ Brown thing, especially great move on the field, but can we really trust him to produce with an offense that hasn't doesn't have an established passing game yet? We don't know. Maybe Jalen Hurts comes in, makes the leap, and is suddenly a phenomenal passer. Then. Yeah, A.J. Brown and even Devontae Smith could all benefit from that for sure. Uh, but on the flip side of that, too, you know, talking about wide receivers that were traded, the wide receivers that were impacted from other trades as well. Corlin Sutton and Jerry Judy had by far the biggest leaps. And oh, you yeah. kind of just made a face, too. So we'll, I'm sure you We'll talk about the, the 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 Bronco stuff later. But I think the other one, and I don't want to get too derailed in here because you're not going to like this, Zach, but... Uh, I think Jalen Waddle's value takes a hit yeah, based on some of the moves that happen here because a lot of, not that he's any less talented than he was before, but volume was a huge part of his game. And if you've ever listened to the TDM fantasy podcast or see my rankings where I write it and I will beat the point home that volume matters as much as talent in fantasy. Like it absolutely does. And you have to be able to know who is going to get the opportunity. Like you said, some of these trades, they took opportunities away. Now Denver is the different case where, they are now have a massive upgrade at the quarterback position that really changes things for them. And, and I have a Broncos player we'll talk about later, but for the most part, I think if we were just to look at it as a whole, more players were hurt than helped this year because of these trades. 100%. Even like Elijah Moore, the, the fantasy darling. Uh, I think you could go to the draft too, right? Like a Monroe St. Brown value really didn't probably won't get impacted too much, but some of the other guys, some of the other rookie uh, I mean, receivers, like Michael Carter, I know it's a running back, not a receiver, yeah. time, but Michael Carter's value changes a lot. Um, you know, like I said, Elijah Moore's uh, uh, changes. I'm on Ross St. Brown. Like there, mm -hmm. there it, it is interesting to think about some of these moves that have happened now and you go, man, I just don't, I don't like them quite as much as I liked them before, or they're just in a more complicated situation. Like I like the Jets receiving core as a whole, but now we have to kind of parse between Moore and Corey Davis, yeah. who seems to be the forgotten man for, for some reason I don't understand. And, you know, and Garrett Wilson coming in and, you know, now they have two pass. They went from zero pass catching tight ends to two pass catching tight ends. Like how is that going to affect the target share in the Jets offense? Like, it is very interesting. If you're drafting some of these young guys based on last year, if you're like, oh man, look at what Elijah Moore did on a per game basis, or look at what Amon Ross St. Brown did to end the season. If you're drafting based on that, you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed mm -hmm. with the production you get at the end of the season. Cole and I last week, when we ran through the rookie receivers with Josh Alarkey, we were looking at him like, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, like this is this is not an offense we really love. For Zach Wilson, we love it, you know, but for the existing players, we don't love it at all. Uh, before we move on to what Cole's trend was, because I'm very I'm very interested to see why he chose this specific trend as well, based on everything we've talked about on the show before. Uh, no one seems to really really talking about the big wide receiver winner based on the moves. And to me, that's that that might be CD Lamb. Like CD Lamb didn't move oh, up yeah. too much in my rankings. He went from uh 23 to 15, but I have him squarely in the mix as like with Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel for now, Stephon Diggs. There is a strong possibility, not as strong as Jamar Chase or Jefferson or uh Cooper Cup, but 
I would put Lamb directly behind those guys in terms of potentially being the overall wide receiver one. A lot of it yeah. has to do Mari Cooper leaving. Michael Gallup might not be healthy uh, to start the season. After that, Jalen Tolbert could be a pretty fine wide receiver two for a couple weeks. James Washington, like, no thank you to me. But C.D. Lamb, sneaky good winner of all these wide receiver moves. So I'm My glad- wide receiver six. Yeah, what do I have him as? I have him as my. You should wide... be able to do this math. He can't be that far down for you. Yeah, you know, I have him as yeah, wide receiver six team, too. I think. Yeah, yeah, I have him as my wide receiver six uh, too. I would probably. This would be a hot take, but I have him ranked above Devonta Adams and Tyree Hill. Like, I, I, I would take CD Lamb over both of those guys based on their positions right now. Um, I would probably take Lamb over Adams, honestly, even though I have Adams ranked one spot ahead of Lamb, but I definitely it's have close. Lamb. Like it, it's I, again, yeah. they're all in that same tier for me. Again, we're we're. As you guys know, we're splitting hairs at the very top here. Like <laughs> having a fight between your wide receiver six and wide receiver five, it, just pick, you know, go with your gut. Like, I mean, at that point, like, I think even my projections wise on those players, the difference for a full season on like a points per game basis was like super small. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, like, we're, we're talking, you know, a tenth of a point a game or something. So, like, it, it's choose your poison. But I agree with you. CD Lamb is a big winner. Cortland Sutton, as you mentioned, was a big winner. But more often than not, a lot of these guys have been big losers. But this is – and not to completely derail us because I know Cole's got a good one that I want to talk about. But (laughs) this is where you can get an advantage on people that aren't paying close attention because they're going to draft the Tyreek Hills in the top five wide receivers. They're going to draft Devontae Adams. They're going to draft A.J. Brown, and they're going to let guys like CeeDee Lamb, who they're not used to seeing in that spot. They're going to let guys like – um, you know, a DJ Moore, a guy like a T Higgins, a Brandon Cooks, a Cortland Sutton, some of these guys that have some really good value fall to you because they're going to take the guys that they always known that we take. Oh, I take Devontae Adams that high. I take Hill that high. I take AJ Brown that high. I take some of these guys and, you know, maybe somebody, you know, Hopkins is values to get depressed because of the, the suspension, but like mm-hmm. some of these guys, like I'm not going to be surprised if Hopkins is drafted over some of the, like the Suttons of the world. Uh, and some of these other players or the Michael Pittmans or some of these other guys that are going to outproduce them because we'll look at the name and right. it's like their situations because of either suspension or trade have pushed them down the board, but they're not going as far down as I thought I would see them in fantasy drafts right now. This year is going to be so pivotal for name value of players, the po- especially when it comes to post-hype players, players who were hyped up, didn't perform, and now it's like, all right, we got to cast them aside. And I think that can apply a lot to the tight ends, and that's exactly what Cole noticed. So w- what was it exactly that stood out between uh, the tight ends on my rankings for you, Cole? Because that, that was the trend that you said stood out the most. Yeah, I mean, this caught my eye like almost immediately because, Jamie, I don't know if you know, Zach and I pretty much discuss it every episode, but I despise tight ends. I think they're way too touchdown dependent. Um, You you just have to get a red zone target outside of Kelsey or Andrews or, or Kittle. Um, to even be viable in the, in the fantasy spectrum weekly, you know, start basis. And it seems like, you know, every tight end that manages to get end zone looks is a potential tight end one. And it just, it just drives me crazy. Um, I despise spending an early round draft pick on a tight end uh, mostly because, you know, there's a very chance he gets injured and I could have had security at running back or a a elite third wide receiver option. And, you know, I just play mind games. Um, I love, I love driving myself crazy with, uh, you know, punting the position. And so that's what I looked at, you know, 35 picks, nearly three rounds between Darren Waller and TJ Hawkinson. I've kind of identified that 
gray area as a point where in my draft, um, when I'm going through my, my list of potential roster needs, that's when the alarm bell should start ringing in my head. Like, okay, the tight end position premium at the top has been selected. I need to go out and get a, a decent addition to the roster to, to avoid just completely pulverizing the position entirely. And, you know, TJ Hawkinson, he honestly, I'm, I'm not sure if these moves are over the off season that the lions have done are going to help him because they brought in, um, you know, two new pass catchers and Jameson Williams, DJ Chark, Amon Ra is going to take a pretty decent uh, chunk of the offense in his second season. Uh, I'm not sure if that, that helps him or hurts him in being a focal point of this offense. And then below him, you've got Pat Fryermuth, who, I mean, man, did you see the Steelers go out and draft wide receivers? I mean, that's what they do. They develop second and third round wide receivers. So uh, you, you can expect Fryermuth is going to be um, taking, you know, a little bit of a, of a bite or a smaller bite out of the, the entire target share um, that the Steelers have. So in, in my opinion, like if I'm not going to spend a high pick on a tight end, then I want to make sure I actually get someone in the, in the middling tier. And so around, you know, that, that TJ Hawkinson range is, I feel is, is where I need to spend a pick as a person that likes to semi punt the tight end position. So if I could jump in real quick here, Zach, I have a I have a stat that will help Cole's argument here because I was tracking this last year because I do my in-season projections and, and mm-hmm. rankings and whatnot. So the average amount of fantasy points in half PPR allowed to all tight ends, so not just the tight end one on the roster, but all tight ends cumulatively over the okay. course of the season by all teams, 9.83 fantasy points. Sheesh. Sheesh. That well, is it, brutal. It is interesting because – did I, I don't know if I wrote this down somewhere, but I feel like I wrote this down somewhere, but tight. Oh, I think I probably tweeted it. That's what it was. Best ball. The value of tight ends in best ball are generally are much worse than redraft because in redraft, there's three, four guys you can depend on every week. And that's it. You're, you're in a carousel. You know, that's why I like to get one of those elite tight ends in best ball where you again, rely on the upside of the players. Those late round tight ends, are the money makers. Those are the guys like you want. You want your Dawson Knox's, Tyler Higbee's, Hunter Henry's of the world. So it's kind of interesting because your guys are both saying, well, you know, the tight ends don't value that much in best ball. I, I agree with you just based on the craziness of the tight end position. What is interesting to me is I keep like looking back at this. I, I really feel like I'm going to be and by my final rankings, whenever those come out, Darren Waller is going to be much lower because I'm looking at him like that. I really think like he should be up there with the Kittle, Kyle Pitts, Andrews, Kelsey, after they just added Devontae Adams, a Hunter Renfro's there. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a good chance that Waller is this player that I think will see his stock drop, at least in my own rankings, uh, which is ironic because that is the next uh, category that we talk about. I asked you guys to pick one player that will rise or one player whose stock will plummet come August. And you both chose wide receivers. or No, you did not choose wide receivers. You both chose rookies. And I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say for these. So, Jamie, the player who you think stock will rise or fall and why, please. So David Bell's one that's been really intriguing to me uh, and is somebody that I was a little surprised to see hasn't getting more attention. And I know he had a 
he had a rough pre-draft process relatively. It was really just a rough 40 time. Like it was a bad combine. Like I'm I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't, but right now he's going outside the top 80 wide receivers in ADP. And, you know, you, you look at some guys that have upside and potential and, you know, I always talk about, I, I just talked about volume again. What is, what is its competition for major targets in Cleveland? Like it's Donovan Peoples Jones and what, and it, and, and obviously, and Amari Cooper, but who's his competition in the slot? Like where I think he's going to have a really good opportunity to, to play there. It's what Jakeem Grant, um, you know, Anthony Schwartz didn't really play a lot of slot time, but like maybe he can be there, but he's more of a kind of a gadgety guy and did not do anything with increased opportunity last year. Like David Bell's going to be on the field a lot for Cleveland and whether it's, Baker Mayfield, whether it's Jacoby Brissett early, whether it's Deshaun Watson, whatever it is, at some point, Deshaun Watson, we presume, uh, I am not anticipating a year-long suspension. So at some point, he will be on the field, and he will get some work. And he's going to have strong quarterback play and opportunity inside of that offense. And to me, I feel like that's getting completely ignored right now, where, no, he's not. he doesn't have the upside of a Jamison Williams or a Drake London or a Traylon Brooks. He's not in that category. But if we're taking dart throws on receivers, like I would probably, I mean, I would tell you right now, I I would take, going back to tie things up. I think David Bell gets more targets this year than Sky Moore. Like, so, I mean, I I think like we, we, when we talk about that category of wide receivers down there, I don't see why David Bell is being completely forgotten about to the point where he's not even getting drafted uh, in, in a bunch of leagues, whether it's best ball, whether it's regular redraft. You know, he's somebody I'm really intrigued by that he can be, he's not going to be Jarvis Landry, but if he can have a similar target share to Jarvis Landry, he's going to be more than rosterable. And if he, there are going to be weeks where you're going to want him in a flex spot and weeks where he's going to pop for you in best ball. He's somebody I feel like he's completely off the radar right now. And when he starts making plays for Cleveland's offense, when we get to the preseason or when we get to some of these joint practices and people kind of go, oh Yeah. Or quite frankly, when we get some clarity on the Sean Watson situation, which is a big factor in this as well. Now, if the Sean Watson gets suspended for the entire season or something, obviously his year one value takes a little bit of a hit, whether it's Baker or Jacoby there. But if it's a six week suspension, get six weeks of Baker Jacoby and 10 or 11 weeks of Deshaun Watson. I think you're going to see David Bell in a lot of lineups for best ball leagues that are in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because I found myself higher on Bell in February. And then after looking at some of the other wide receivers more so in the class, I think Bell was like the third receiver I looked at for uh, my dynasty fits. I looked at other receivers and I'm like, you know, Bell doesn't really have the upside that the other receivers have. So talking a little bit more about talent here, you just touched on the volume and you're definitely not wrong. Y'all, you made very good points. It's just kind of like, all right, like, yeah, let's say we put him in the slot. And I do think he's more, he, he'll probably be a bigger bodied slot. If anything, he, he's more, I think he'd probably be best suited to be an X or even a Z receiver in this case scenario. Uh, But another big factor like you touched on is this Cleveland offense. Let's say Deshaun Watson does play, which again, we don't know at this point as of this recording, what will this offense look like? It's fair to say they're going to pass the ball a little bit more, or maybe even a lot more than in previous years. Nick Chubb, the clear loser of the Deshaun Watson trade from a fantasy standpoint in this offense how will that impact like what will that share be because Watson typically has always been a one receiver type guy like he likes to lock in of course that was DeAndre Hopkins and Amari Cooper isn't DeAndre Hopkins now so there is there isn't 
as big of a correlation as some people are making that aspect out to be. Uh, but I do kind of agree with you for sure. Bell can be that wide receiver too in this offense. I would totally, I would not be surprised if his stock does rise come August. Uh, is he the most intriguing player out there? No, but again, especially the value I have him in the rankings, taking a dart throw, like you said. Seems fine to me, especially uh, with preseason and training camp and all this fun NFL stuff coming up throughout the offseason. So continuing on on the Breakout Football Podcast, one player, Cole, that you think will rise or fall by August. Who is it and why? I mentioned this on an earlier podcast episode, but I feel like Zamir White is really just going to become everyone's favorite offseason darling um like around july august the zamir white train is just going to be full steam ahead and i'm hesitant right i look at the stats and i he tested well yes at the combine but we just got to be honest with ourselves about what type of player we're talking about he had 17 catches in college total so he doesn't offer anything of value in pbr um i don't think he scored any any receiving touchdowns i don't think he had uh over 200 yards receiving in his in in any of his seasons right so 17 catches in in college not really going to offer much in the PPR spectrum never had more than 160 carries in college and he was productive with those carries like during a season but when you're when you're heading into a committee backfield right with Josh McDaniels who is going to basically implement a carbon copy rotation uh, role, sorry, not rotation, role-based running back rotation like he had on the Patriots. Like the way, I, the only way I see White seeing the field in bountiful amounts in his rookie season is if injuries happen to the running backs above him, which is likely, right? And, and Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, not, not the healthiest of running backs, but he is definitely fourth string on that rotation of Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, and Brandon Bolden, who comes over from, from New England. And I honestly see... Zamir White as a liability on the field as well because he had two ACL tears in both knees in college and that's probably why he never had more than 160 carries in a season and so I think Zamir White early is emerging as a favorite to kind of take over this backfield um, and become you know the next fantasy darling waiver wire pickup on uh, on fantasy rosters and obviously you don't have to worry about that with best ball um, and you might want to take a, a late round dart if you truly believe in him but for me, I don't, you know, I just, I just don't really see it with this guy. So that was interesting because there were so many different times in that statement where I was like, which way is he going with this? So you think his stock is going to rise, but you don't agree that it should. Yeah. I think his rise is going to be insurmountable um, oh. over these next few months, but I want no part in it. I can let, I'll let someone else in my best ball league take him. Cause I, I just don't believe um, in, in the hype around Zamir White. Yeah, no, you I mean the, the two big points I had, I mean, that, that was masterful, by the way, like props to you taking that question in a different direction. Uh, the big two big points I had is, is this going to be the, the Patriot way? Is this going to be a committee? I mean, it probably will have some semblance of that, even though Josh Jacobs is probably better than any running back the Patriots have had in the past five, six years and better's a bit of better's a bit of a stretch, but I think you get the point. And then the other big point is this seems like it's going to be a pass friendly roster. Like they have Derek Carr, they have Adams, Hunter, Renfro, uh, Demarcus Robinson, uh, Mac Hollins, maybe, but Darren Waller are there too. And you, like you said, White isn't a proven pass catcher. So it does limit his value 
where I have him, I have him like right behind Khalil Herbert. I have him in the Brian Robinson Jr., Marlon Mack group. Guys who may not be number one options, there's a path to being that. But if they do become a number one option, like how good are they? But still fine enough. That's the kind of tier I have it in. I, I can see his stock rising for sure, kind of based on everything you said. And I'm also kind of with you because I don't think there is a path where he is in every down workhorse back. And I don't really know how valuable he can be, even if he is playing more snaps than any of the other running backs in that backfield. A lot of questions there. So I'd agree with you on that. I I wasn't planning on not agreeing with you, but I I don't know. He just presented a good enough case. I wasn't really thinking about uh, Zamir White a lot lately. So I'm glad you brought that to the table. All right, our last category here on BFP with guest Jamie Eisner of the Draft Network. Straightforward, favorite sleeper based on my rankings. You guys kind of went two different directions. I'm very curious to see what you have to say. Jamie, you've alluded to this player a lot during the show. Finally unveil him to our lovely audience. Yeah, look, all the talk, and, and rightfully so, has been about, oh, this uh, the Russell Wilson trade is great for Cortland Sutton. It's great for Jerry Judy. It's also great for Tim Patrick, who continues to be con- overlooked year after year after year, puts up solid touchdown numbers, and now is going to get the by far the best quarterback play of his career. Uh, I would have you look up the, uh, the size of Tim Patrick and look up the size of DK Metcalf and explain to me why Tim Patrick can't be a touchdown monster and a down-the-field threat for Russell Wilson in this Broncos offense. I don't know why he's kind of become the forgotten man in this conversation. For me, he's a borderline top 40 wide receiver, is somebody that I would love to have as the fourth receiver on my roster. I think he's got a ton of upside in best ball because he's going to have these touchdown games. And when you're touchdown hunting, where you can get him in the draft, there's nobody else that has nine or 10 receiving touchdown potential where you're going to grab him in best ball right now than Tim Patrick. Feels like he gives a name that kind of gets brushed under the rug every single year. And look, right now, can Cortland Sutton stay healthy for the full season? We'll see. Is any of this stuff that's happened with Jerry Judy off the field going to come back to affect him on the field? We don't know yet. Are the dropsies from two years ago going to affect Jerry Judy? We don't know yet. I love I love all three of these, and I want, I want a share of this Broncos receiving core in any way that I can get them. But let's not ignore the fact that Tim Patrick is going to be a monster red zone threat. And I would not be shocked. I'm not going to quite predict it, but I would not be shocked if he scored 10 touchdowns this year. I really wouldn't. Going back to uh, your, your, I don't know, challenge or question or whatever that was. Tim Patrick, 6'4", 212. DK Metcalf, 6'4", 229. Now Patrick does not look like a modern day transformer, but it's not he's always been one of these consistent players in redraft where it's like come like week six, week seven, you look at a statue line huh, he's averaging like 9 to 12 points a game. How the hell has no one picked them up? Maybe it's because his name just sounds like he's like an accountant from the 70s. But for the most part, I'm, I'll, I'll take it. I don't know how much his upside can really be because, again, he hasn't established himself more so as a number a wide receiver two option. We don't know what type of sets the Broncos will run, especially with – I can't believe I, I loved KJ Hamler coming out of college. I don't, he hasn't really done much in two seasons, but he's there. Albert Okuwebunam, everyone's favorite breakout tight end for some reason, happens to be there. There's a lot of mouths to feed in an offense that personally I think will be more run friendly than people think. I don't think this is going to be uh, the let Russ Cook campaign unleashed in the Mile High City. I think this is going to be a pass first. But established a run for sure. They re-signed Melvin Gordon, a pair with Javante Williams. Uh, Wilson, too. 
shoot, I'm trying to think about who said it, but someone on Twitter like a couple of weeks ago pointed out that like Wilson for as good as he looks when he's passing the ball vertically, he likes to have that run game to fall back on. He just thinks like it's more of like an efficient way to do things, whether that's true or not. It does make you look at how the Seattle offense was operated again. Wilson clearly wanted to leave so who knows maybe this is a a very pass heavy offense that gives Patrick enough opportunity to perform I do love that you're throwing credit to Tim Patrick because nobody ever does I just don't know how high his ceiling can truly be but again when you're especially when you're looking at these rankings 250 players finding the value finding where they can crush their ADP is key so Tim Patrick seems fine to me Cole you went with a player for your sleeper unless you have anything else to add about Tim Patrick do you? Yes. No, no, I'm good. All right. He's good. He's ready to move on. You guys fleshed it out perfectly. <laughs> he wants nothing to do with Tim Patrick. That is the, that is Jamie's player. Uh, you went with a little bit of a different route, a player who was much higher in my rankings, but I'm assuming you think his ceiling can even be higher than it already is in his ADP. I used, by the way, underdogs ADP, like a premier best ball site to help me like kind of cross check my rankings and such. Um, and I, I had about similar, a similar uh, placing for Marquise Brown. Let's see. I had Brown uh, much hot. Well, I totally just spoiled your player for you. Uh, you, you have Marquise no. Brown as your favorite, as your favorite sleeper, a wide receiver, I'm not going to do that math. I might as well at some point, but as of my 55th <laughs> overall player in the Brandon Cooks, Brandon Ayuk, Darnell Mooney tier. So why is, I'll stop the pandering. Why is Hollywood Brown your favorite sleeper? I don't know. I just, I believe in Hollywood Brown's potential because Hollywood Brown believes in his potential. He's coming off a career season where he finally cracked, or finally cracked the 1000 yard uh, receiving yard threshold. He had, almost 150 targets, caught 91 of them, and he had six touchdowns. And so you would expect, you know, him, you know, heading into, you know, a contract season where he has to prove himself, um, finally getting meshed in with the offense. No, he demands a trade um, quietly, of course. No one, no one knows about this until the draft. Um, and I thought it was most surprising when the details came out because Lamar Jackson tweeted, you know, WTF after it. He acted surprised that Hollywood Brown had been traded seemingly right under his nose. And in reality, this had been brewing for a long time. Uh, Brown said in, in an interview um, after his second season, he was talking to Lamar saying like, man, I, I don't know if this, this offensive system is for me. Um, and then when Jackson got injured, he said, he told him, he, he said straight up, yeah, bro, I can't do it. And he said the system in Baltimore wasn't for him personally, well, guess what? The system in Baltimore is Lamar Jackson. And you see them on Instagram um, stories, posts. You can see they're obviously boys, right? Um, they, they're, they're best of friends. And yet somehow that, you know, filtered into these, into these negotiations where, okay, friendship isn't enough for me to stay in a system that is going to limit my paycheck, my, my second paycheck. You know who I'm going to play with? I'm going to play with my old college teammate that knows how to rocket the ball with precision downfield. And so that's why I love Hollywood Brown going to Kyler Murray and playing with the Arizona Cardinals, where he's not going to be always, um, you know, the number one option, deep vertical threat, right? I mean, obviously DeAndre Hopkins, we're going to see what happens with this, with his suspension, but the Cardinals, they brought in, you know, some, some tight ends to bolster the roster. Um, some a, a decent, you know, running game that isn't going to be, overwhelming 
to an aspect that like it was in Baltimore. And, you know, mostly what Brown was saying was it, it was about his happiness. And he believes that an air raid system in Arizona is going to benefit him more than, you know, whatever the, whatever the Ravens have cooked up that basically puts the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands and says, play hero. And so that's why I love Hollywood Brown of the Cardinals. Cause I feel like this move has much more potential for explosion than, you know, people are, are giving it credit for and because people love to focus on, Oh, the Cardinals, they're so stupid. They gave up, a, they gave up a first round pick for Hollywood Brown. Well, you re- reunite two college teammates that were electric in college and uh, Marquise Brown, who is looking for a change of scenery that is going to, and is also hungry for his, his second payday. There is a chance, maybe a good chance that through the first six weeks of the season, when Deandre Hopkins is suspended, that Marquise Brown is, overall wide receiver one like it it is a phenomenal pairing what would limit what what could limit brown is that when hopkins does come back we haven't really seen this offense sustain a wide receiver two in fantasy yet. it doesn't mean that they can't we just haven't seen it so there is this unknown factor about okay if hopkins does come back can brown still see enough volume can he still produce enough to where he's making an impact for your best ball team 100 possible for sure that might cap his ceiling a bit but you know because he is going from a number two option to a uh, number two option from behind Mark Andrews to behind DeAndre Hopkins but again those first six weeks could be enough to really bolster your best ball roster especially if you do have a deep enough if you have a good enough wide receiver core so I like it for sure I think Marquise Brown could definitely uh, outperform his ADP clearly like you perfectly outlined once again fits that Cardinals offense so much better than he fits that Ravens offense. So I'll take it as well. Two sleepers that I, I can get behind for sure. Uh, and with that, that is that is everything that I ask you guys to do. Uh, the heat cooled off a little bit at the end. Thank God. Ooh, I was sweating a little bit there, sitting on the, the roast chair. But I think we, we made it out unscathed based off my top 250 best ball rankings. I will have those updated, hopefully, throughout the summer at thedraftnetwork.com. These rankings are out on the draftnetwork.com. And if you want to hear more from Jamie, his work can be found also, spoiler, on the draftnetwork.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Eisner, on Instagram at Jamie Eisner. Is that Jamie Eisner at Jamie Eisner TDN? Uh, Instagram is at the TDN at the end for Instagram. There you go. See, you know, uh, probably doesn't have a MySpace yet. So unfor- sorry to all you MySpacers can't uh, can't reach Jamie out on there. But Jamie, man, we had a great time having you back on. Any uh, any final thoughts or anything? No, it, it's exciting. It's an exciting time of year. Uh, obviously, we'll have both of our sets of rankings on online next week. I'll have my projections on the draftnetwork.com. And I've already, I'm already been a, a couple of best ball drafts. Uh, I'm already doing my, my second slow draft. It's in the process of happening right now. And uh, so it's exciting. It may only be May, but that doesn't mean it's not fantasy season. And it feels like it's coming earlier and earlier every single year. Oh my gosh. You could say that again. Well, for those of you who stayed all the way to the end and heard us ramble about fantasy football, if you liked what Cole and I had to say, you know, feel free to drop a review, drop a rating. Let us know how much you loved or hated, I guess, uh, the show, uh, on social media, he's at him analysis on social media. I'm at Zach Cohen FB next week. We got a really cool guest lined up 
hopefully to talk about some dynasty football. We love branching out here on the breakout football podcast on the believe network sponsored by link me. That's it for me. As always, Cole, my man, you can round out the show while I queue up the outro music. Yeah. Just a final thought, especially after having Josh Larkey on last week, we've had so much best ball talk mm-hmm. on the, on BFP lately. I just feel like we need to create like a, a best ball addicts anonymous club for Zach Cohen, Jamie Eisner, and Josh Larkey. I, th- I think you guys can be, the, you know, the, the, the executive board of that club started on Twitter, you know, include some members. I, I feel like you could get some, uh, you know, hashtag trending. Maybe we'll see. Hmm. Well, gotta love best ball, man. It, it's just, I was having this argument with my friends the other day. It's just like, especially for people who play fantasy football and follow it like a lot, it's so much easier to not have to worry about all these teams every year. Like I, I hate doing more than like two normal redraft leagues because I love fantasy football, but like I want to devote my time and really make my one or two teams good. I don't have the time to follow 10 or plus leagues. That's why you just do the draft and then bang, you're done with it on best ball it's it's so much nicer if you don't play best ball i swear this isn't an ad or anything but go go find a site underdog uh, the scott fishbowl 12 is happening soon so there's plenty of opportunities to get involved in best ball what i don't think is talking enough about enough too is just the reps it gives you to drafting um you you, it's addicting right you can just turn out a bunch of best ball drafts and you kind of get a feel with where players are going to go and yeah, you can do your mock drafts with, you know, in, in, in public databases and everything, but you never know how it's going to play out like the real thing, right? The, the real draft always performs differently than mock drafts. So I think if, if you're doing like, uh, you know, I know you do more, Jamie, but like, you know, six best ball drafts and, you know, that's like six, six real scenario or, you know, real world scenario drafts that you have under your belt before you head into your, your family stakes league where everything is, is much more premium and higher. So uh, I, I'm planning on doing some more best ball this year. I talked to Jamie about the senior bowl about it and he got me hooked. So. Yeah. And, and one, like, I know it's not an advice show, but my last piece of advice for those that have not tried out best ball more is don't change up your ranking significantly. There are a few players that are significantly better or significantly worse in that format, but more often than not, their peaks and valleys are kind of baked in to their overall values. I think it's where, as Zach keeps mentioning, it's late in the draft is where you can kind of really get yourself that value is where you're taking guys with upside guys. Like you don't want to take high floor guys, really late in your draft because they're probably not going to play for you, but early in your draft, don't, don't fall into this mentality that a lot of people go with that. You just start taking more boomer bus guys because it's, it's a best ball because that's kind of factored into the value already in the other league. So just be careful, not going too out of control with mm-hmm. some of these rankings. Like I said, in my, in the intro, the best ball rankings, which again, up on the draftnetwork.com, I think we're done with the plugs, uh, is that it's nice to sprinkle in. If you find yourself doing those boomer bust players, you want to get the reliable guys like, like your Tim Patrick's of the world, you know, those late round guys, you know, they're not going to put up 20 points every, every now and then, but like they should give you a solid eight to 10 points each week, something to fall back on. Uh, last year, my late round guy was Cordero Patterson in like June, May was drafting him. I I won a good amount of money based on him. So shout out to him. That can be you too. We will definitely be talking more about best ball here on the breakout football podcast. Talk about a lot more different types of fancy football. Again, any questions, comments, you know where to reach us. 
drop a rating or review on however you listen to us. Cole, my man, send us out. Yeah, definitely drop a rating. Got Dynasty Talk next week. Make sure everyone stay locked, BFP. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.